Hello, and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're going to talk about knowing when to hold them and when to fold them. (laughs) Somehow that sounds better than when to kill something. Right. (laughs) So this is going to be my weekly session, my personal therapy, business therapy session, I think. Uh, Because I'm terrible at this, or I feel like I'm terrible at this, but maybe as we talk through it, you'll jog my memory or something like that. Well, except that I'm terrible at this too. So I think, I think this, for me, this is the episode that I need to listen to. And so I certainly have ideas about this and I bet you do too. So let's, let's see where it comes out. Yes. I always have opinions. That's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Don't we all? Cool. So yeah, uh, you mentioned before the show that you had a couple of notes that you jotted down about this. Maybe we should start there. Yeah, I was kind of thinking, you know, sort of blog post style, like what are the signs that maybe it's time to kill off a product or a service offering in your business? And the first thing that occurred to me, because this is what happens to me, is I start to clench my teeth when I'm working on it or when I'm thinking about it. It's not, I mean, you know, when something really flows and it just kind of happens and you work hard, you're tired when you're done, but you're feeling generally good about it. This is when you just start to kind of clench your teeth and your jaw whenever you sort of look at it or think about it. Mm. Does that happen to you? Yeah. Yeah. Now that you mention it, it's most obvious with client work that's gone on too long. So, I mean, my primary consulting service for many years was uh, a retainer arrangement, an advisory retainer arrangement that was a monthly ongoing thing. And maybe a couple of them have gone on a little bit past their usefulness. And I can kind of tell because you see the email in the inbox and you just kind of dread, not dread, that's... That's back in my project days, software development projects that are going off the rails and you see the the all caps subject line from the client. And you just like, oh, I can't click on this right now. I can't take it. Um, and, and, and that's actually, I mean, it's tough to kill something like that when you've got, you know, you're six months into a, a five month project and you've got 12 months to go. But th- that's a different situation, I think. I don't think that's exactly what we're talking about here. So the dread for me crops up like this. It just like I go to do the thing, like I have to do this thing or, you know, some piece of a, of a project and all the energy drains out of me. And I just want to lay down on the floor like, oh, I'd rather do literally anything than this. And uh, it's not I've never noticed myself clenching my teeth. I do that all the time. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, that's client work. It's usually client work where I, I just get exhausted by the thought of of a particular thing, whatever it might be. So you don't find like when you've in the past, when you've worked on like a new product or a productized service, one you wound up later killing, you didn't find that clenching your teeth or losing all your energy as you're getting into it. The more producty a thing is, the less that that has ever happened. I can't think of a situation where that ever happened to me on something that was a lot more like a product, you know, maybe a, a SaaS that was just a, a bad idea that I didn't validate and built it anyway and launched it. And in situations like that, I've really need to, needed to be hit over the head that, oh, this isn't going to work. Like it'd be, it'd be a lot more obvious to me now because I just have a different mindset. Like before, when I was just doing like software development, 
I thought a lot of stuff was a great idea that really was not a, a good business. It wasn't a business opportunity. It wasn't a business. It's just like, oh, I found a hole in the market. And, you know, but it's like a silly thing, a very silly thing in retrospect. I really needed to be beat over the head to recognize that it wasn't, it wasn't going to happen. But I suppose that the reason why is because there's not, there wasn't that much to do. Like I built it and no one was using it. I didn't understand like marketing back then. So it wasn't like I was doing this ongoing marketing activities or trying to sell it other than, you know, occasionally tweeting about it. So it wasn't like there was something to, it was almost like there wasn't something to kill in a sense because I wasn't really putting more into it. But there is this sort of mental overhead of like having these, all these irons in the fire, even if they're total fantasy. I have noticed uh, as I get older, my golden years, that even even stuff that I'm not working on, if it's in my head as something that's not something that's still alive, it takes up some processing power that I would rather use somewhere else or or should use somewhere else. So uh, it is beneficial sometimes to go back and just mentally think, okay, this is a failure. I'm not going to think about it anymore. I'm going to let the domain name expire, so on and so forth. I can't think of a time when I've had like um, a physical reaction to anything like a product uh, or anything like that. You know, it strikes me as I'm listening to that and I'm thinking this might be true for the developer types in our audience is that, you know, maybe you really think of your skill set as a maker, right? Mm -hmm. So when you're making something, you're totally into it. There isn't any of that other stuff because the making is the joy, Right. But it's the marketing of it and the figuring it out part <laughs> that has to go in tandem with that. And that's the client part where you're where you lose energy, at least in your in your prior life. Right. Yeah, I suppose that's true. And, and really the the issue in my particular case with with SaaS products that probably should have been killed a lot sooner just to open up the mental bandwidth. My, my problem is that. I didn't recognize what the real goal was or like that that is just fun to build and I should just build it for fun and that would be it. And I wouldn't have any sort of expectations of like, oh, and I'm going to get, you know, this much monthly recurring revenue from this thing. Like, it's not why I'm doing this. I'm doing this because it's fun and I want to like learn these technologies, which was also true and just been satisfied with that. I actually wouldn't consider it a failure. I would consider it a success. So I'm going to just do that in my mind right now. And now I'm like five new successes. <laughs> it was just the business opportunity just wasn't there. So there's another kind of crisis of faith, if you will, that I've encountered that definitely feels very different, which is on really long builds like a book, which takes a really long time to air quotes build, you know, especially with a commercially published book where you've got editors and, and that last, oh man, the last quarter of that is just torture. And you're like, oh, why did I do this? It's like the end of a marathon. You're like, oh, this seemed like such a good idea, but it wasn't. It's a different kind of pain there though, because the end is in sight. I know that I'm in the Death Valley portion of the process and it doesn't make sense to stop at that point. Like I don't have a, I don't have a problem with that kind of stick to itiveness, I guess. Like once I get into, once I commit to something, I actually, 
uh, I erred almost too far on the side of completing it no matter what, just so that I'm the kind of person that completes stuff they say they're going to do. Even if I, even if I knew the book was a mistake three quarters of the way through because some, some competitor or some other expert in this space released like the exact same book, basically I'd still finish it because I wouldn't want to have it. I would still, I would still do it even if I knew it wasn't going to sell because it's too late at that point for me. Well, but that's, it's a really good point. I'm thinking of Pressfield's book, you know, the war of art and that's the resistance speaking. So I think we should differentiate between sort of the crisis of faith that you have in the middle of a long-term thing, because I think we all have that. It's, I mean, it's resistance rearing up its head. I mean, it's the core question that we, I know you and I have both asked ourselves is how do you know when it's time to actually kill something off? Not, and I, I would generally say it's not usually in the middle. It tends to be after you're done. Because the act of, of building the stuff, the act of making these things is creative. And if we start to second guess ourselves, which a lot of people will do, it's really easy to never finish anything. Yeah, this is a critical difference. And I'm, I'm also noticing a trend in my own history where this, when I look back at stuff that I should have killed earlier, for sure, it's all, it's all more similar to client work. It's not like me saying, oh, I'm going to earn my black belt or I'm going to run up Mount Washington or I'm going to do, I'm going to write a book. It's none of that stuff. Those are all sort of solo, not completely, but very much um, a little more lone wolfy than say something like being in a rock band, which I've also done. And the things that I let go on too long looking back on it, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. but the things that I like go on way too long are all like, all have a relationship component built in where it's, it's either uh, a client relationship or, you know, a band or, um, or, or even like romantic, I can think of a couple romantic relationships <laughs> that went on a, a year longer than they should have. But yeah, those, for me, those are definitely the ones where I, I do not have a hair trigger. Like I have the opposite of a hair trigger on stuff that's relationship based. Well, it's more complex. I mean, there's other people involved and it's their livelihood and their feelings and the interrelationship that the two of you have, because it can be, and I'm not talking about, you know, romance as much, although that's true too, but it's, it's that, what are you getting from the partnership? Right. Kind yeah. Of thing. So if you imagine, I mean, you're a great example of somebody who had a uh, business partnership. So you started a like a business with lots of people. I imagine that that's not dissimilar from, I mean, just tons of differences. But with the band, it was like a bunch of people. And there was a point where I think everybody kind of knew that uh, we were not going to be on MTV, <laughs> <laughs> but nobody wanted to be the one that that was like uh and then finally someone was like i'm out of here and then the whole thing went poof and it was a drag but it should have happened a year earlier for sure because your business kind of went through an arc and then you sold so like how did that like how do you consider that in the context of this conversation well i think that that business had a timeline and and again looking backwards uh, we sold at the absolutely perfect time. And I, I wish I could take credit for, you know, being a genius to sell just before the dot-com bubble burst, but it had nothing to do with that. It was the timing of the business. And in fact, 
The unwinding, when you sell to a big firm like that, you have to get all the people, all your people inculcated in the new firm's culture. And I also had a role with the new firm, as did all of all of our people. Nobody lost a job in the process. But that process was long and grueling and very emotional for everybody. And for me in particular, because I felt like I was responsible. I started the company with a, a founder, a co-founder. I built it up. I was the public face of the company and I was the person that they all reported to. So that was a process. But again, for me, it was the right time you know, we made the decision, I should really say I made the decision, you know, for a lot of good business reasons. But then I spent a lot of time working individually with each person to kind of help them see where I was going with this. It wasn't, you know, oh, Rochelle decided it was it, at the end, it felt more like a group decision. But the truth is, everybody would have preferred other than me to have kept the company going because it was a, it was a great place to work for everybody but me. Mm. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I, seem, so, I seem to remember that you did have a sort of moment when you're like, this is not making me happy anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That, well, that's, that's what it, and it, it was a moment and it took me probably six months to believe the moment and express the moment. And the moment was when I realized that in order to take the business to the next level, cause we were a, a small boutique and we were interesting, but in order to get to that next level, I had to hire some salespeople. I had to invest in infrastructure. So I'm sitting there saying to myself, Oh my God, I have to invest more money to do more of what I don't like. I mean, that's just, that's insane. But it took me six months. It's not like I just, I mean, I thought that in one moment, but it took me six months to really face it head on and the implications of that with the team that I led. I just think anything that involves other people is by nature complex. And I would also argue that I, I think it's actually good that it takes longer. It makes me think that we're human and we actually care about the impact of our actions on others. It doesn't mean that we don't act, but that maybe we act more thoughtfully, more slowly to bring the rest of, of our alliances, let's call it, think of them as alliance partners, bring the rest of them along with us. Mm -hmm. Yep, I agree with that. Boy, this is feeling like therapy. <laughs> right? <laughs> So there, here's another kind that I see very related, but it feels like it's somewhere in the intersection of some of this relationship stuff, but also the lone wolfy stuff, which is that I, I talk to a lot of people who sort of hung out their own shingle as a solo or very, you know, two person partnership where they basically do design or development and they might call themselves a freelancer or a consultant or a contractor or something. And they get to this point where a few years go by and they recognize that nothing has changed and they start to feel that hamster wheel thing where they're just like, something's wrong, something needs to change. And what I'm getting at here is like less of a, of a fold the business and go in-house, but there becomes a time when there needs to be a serious uh, change like a almost you could almost call it a pivot even though they might continue to operate in the same space or do the same craft behind the scenes they need to pivot the business in a way that um, is very foreign it feels like a new project almost 
in a lot of cases, basically what it amounts to is like, oh, I'm going to start actually marketing my business and treating it like a business instead of just hoping that uh, people need new shoes. And so I'm going to be able to keep making shoes for people. And I don't know if that's this topic. I don't know if that's the topic for this week, but it, it's, it feels really similar where there's this, it's kind of like a looming decision. It's this gnawing feeling that grows over time that something's wrong. And I think part of the problem is definitely related to some of the things that I've stayed in too long. It's the sort of, you know, slowly boiling the frog situation where it doesn't get bad all at once. So you get used to that, that discomfort in the back of your head, you know, it builds slowly, but you get used to it. So it like, before you know it, like one day you wake up and you're like, oh, I have a giant migraine. Like this is a problem. (laughs) And, and, but it's usually not that obvious. It's, it's usually you just sort of bear it and grit your teeth and keep going forward. But it feels kind of similar. Yeah. Cause what struck me as you were saying that is it's, I think part of knowing when it's time to sort of kill something is when you keep tinkering and modifying, but you're not getting any traction. Cause I think most of us tend to, we tinker, right? We don't come in and just like chop off half of it and, and start over. We tinker, we change this. And, and this is with relationships, with products, with services, we change little things. And so that's what I'm thinking in your scenario, those two partners, you know, each one changes, they try doing it this way, they try doing it that way. They're all like little tiny things. But if you still aren't getting traction in terms of building business, or you're not solving that gnawing, nagging thing, then yeah, I think, you know, that's a sign that you have to look at something bigger than a tinker. Right. Yeah, it's like you can fiddle around with tactics all day long, but in absence of a clear objective or a strategy, it's if they do anything for you, it's just luck, basically. I wasn't expecting this to tie back to a previous episode, but we just recently talked about how to measure growth. And these days, I have a tendency to test things much more quickly and now that I've had traction, I recognize when I'm not getting it. But before, but there was a long period of my life where I had no traction whatsoever on anything. And I didn't realize like how bad it was, if you know what I mean? Like I didn't know it because I didn't know like, oh, wow, what's happening right now is no one cares about this. Not like, not like, oh, I need to, I need to hustle more or I need to like raise awareness of this thing. It's like, no, no one cares. They, they know about it. <laughs> It's just not a compelling idea. And now that I've had the experience and the first time it happened to me was 2011 when I had like viral traction for an idea. And I was just like, and it, it like picks you up like a tornado and throws you. And I was like, oh, oh, no, this is is. what it's supposed to feel like. (laughs) Maybe not that severe. Uh, that was actually pretty life altering, but, uh, or disruptive, I should say. But I was like, oh, 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 instead of trying to get, you know, this is me sort of former rock band member trying to become successful, just pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing, putting up flyers and sending out physical postcards and, and trying to get uh, radio directors on the phone and pushing and pushing and pushing. And then I'm like uh, trying to get people to talk about the band. And then 
I was in 2011, I was like, oh, the way to get people to talk about you is to do something worth talking about. Duh. <laughs> Instead of like having something that is utterly boring and and exactly the same as or in, undifferentiable from any other thing that's it's like, oh, so you guys are kind of like these 10 other bands. Like, great. I get it. No, no, we're totally different. Right? <laughs> Let me explain. Sit down. I'm going to explain how different we are. It's like, OK. Uh, yeah, if your music isn't selling it, it's not going to happen. Right. Like if you're, but I, but that's not the message you get as a young musician. You know, it's like never give up. This is a classic case, especially for creatives. It's like your dreams die when you give up on them. All of these, like that, that's where the real gray area is for me, but it's night and day. Like if I was going to do a rock band now, if I was going to get in a band now, I would have a completely different approach to it. First of all, wow, it's surprising how much this ties into what we've said already. First of all, I would decide why I was in the band. Like, what's the band for? Is this for me to get together with some buddies twice a month and jam really loud? Or is it to actually make people dance? Like, is that our goal? Do we want to make people dance? Do we want to make people happy? Or do we want to connect people? Or do we want to make people think or cry? Or like, what is this band for? Because before, back in the day, we didn't really know what the band was for. Probably everybody in the band had a different idea. And so it's no surprise we kind of weren't going all in the same direction. <laughs> you know, what's this band for? And once I had that, then it would be like, okay, now I know how to, this sounds really clinical, but now I would know if it was working or not because I have a goal. So like, what could we do to move toward this goal? And it would either be working or not. Like you would know. But the difference here is that we would have a, an objective. We'd agree on a strategy to reach the objective, whether that's make people dance or just have fun on weekends. As I think about it, it would be pretty simple to decide what that is, get it happening, know if it's working. And to tie back to our testing episode, there'd be ways to test if there was some way that we we're going to achieve this outcome before we sunk like tons of time or money into it. So like, you know, how could we test this idea? Is the idea that we want to get people to dance? Okay. How could we test the idea of like, does anybody even listen to rock bands anymore? Like go out dancing to a rock band. I mean, I feel like a geezer even saying that. But I don't uh, know the answer to that question. Do yeah, they? I don't need I'm sure they don't. <laughs> I'd be shocked if they did. But anyway, the, the idea is that I think a bunch of the things that we've talked about in previous episodes and recent episodes kind of tie into this. It's like, it's like you kind of can't know if you're succeeding if you haven't set some kind of goal. So how would you know? To, how would you know that you weren't getting any closer to success if you don't know what success looks like? It goes back to something else I was thinking about with knowing when to let something go is is when it just sits there. Your service, your product, it just kind of sits there. It's like nobody's loving your baby. I met this potential client who did not hire me, and so we were talking about what he wanted to do with his book. And it was actually really a good book. It, it was right on brand. It was unusual. It was in the right niche. It had this totally insipid title. I mean, it was the title was just awful, but it was, it was an evergreen book. And so he had decided before he met me that he would re-release the book, but with a different title. But the new title was, in my opinion, was just as bad as the old title. So he kind of put it out there and that's when he met me. And so I said, okay, well, here's the thing. I said, before we even work together, I can tell you that this title doesn't fit. 
And in fact, there's a potential title in one of your chapters that might be exactly the right one. And even if you don't hire me, change the title of the book. So um, he did neither. But what happens now is he's got two titles on Amazon and he's got a very small audience. And I'd mentioned this to him. I said, if nothing else, pull the old one or make a deal if somebody bought the first one that they get the second one for free because it was the same book. Nothing changed. And so this relatively small audience he had, he ran the risk of really ticking them off. So that was an example where you need to kill one of them, right? Or at the very least, you need to do some major surgery. Although to me, changing a title isn't major surgery, but the way the book was positioned, it would have felt like major surgery to somebody from the outside looking in. I get this sometimes with people who are like about websites and the way that they could just get married to this site that, you know, I'll say something like, um, okay, you, you know, you've been a generalist for a long time, but you, you have like expertise in a particular space. Your clients fall into one of three categories, more or less. And then you've got a long tail of total randos. So let's just for six months, let's just do a campaign where we focus on like financial services. Cause you've had some success in that space. You've got some really good testimonials. Let's just let's just orient the entire website around that and then do run a camp, essentially a campaign for six months and see if we get any traction. And the resistance to that is staggering. They'll be like, but I I can't, you know, but what if, you know, and they come up with all these reasons why they can't change their website. And I'd be like, well, how many leads have you gotten from your website this month? Like none. Okay, so what what's the risk here? Like, what are we what are we afraid of losing? Well, you know, SEO, <laughs> like getting no traffic, <laughs> getting no traffic. Well, what if I, what if I scare my client, you know, my current clients, what if they see that I, you know, I'm focusing on financial services and like, well, they're your current clients. You can talk to them. You could tell them that if you, if you think they're even going to notice, which I would be a little bit surprised. Yeah, they they're do. not looking at your website. No, they're meeting with you every Wednesday. They're not hanging out on your website, like checking it every day to see if anything changed. It's almost like maybe it's that they've tweaked it so many times. I know they're afraid to change it, even though they it's demonstrably doing nothing for them. There's this resistance to changing the slightest thing because it's almost like the devil, you know, like, well, you know, it's it's barely doing anything. But if we change something, it might do less or something. something. <laughs> it's completely irrational. And uh, I change my website constantly. I'll, I'll like, oh, I'm going to email someone. I'll know that I'm going to be on somebody's radar i'll change my whole website just because they might click on a link in my email and they click on the link and they go to my website it's like my website i can do whatever i want there's no rule that says it needs to be always and forever like exactly this way it's one of those things i see people hanging on to for no no clear reason everyone has different reasons i've never seen a clear pattern but it's some sort of this clenching action where they they're sort of like it's like this fear this clench of like no 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 we can't i we can't do that it's almost like i'm threatening their identity their personal identity well you, you are and i do the same thing i mean because what happens when you start to look at i think of it as brand when you start to look at who are you what's your messaging what's your niche what are you focusing on who are you serving what's your big idea if they're really clear about all that, the website becomes exciting, right? Because all of a sudden, you know, they've latched on to this and said, yes. So now they look at their website and go, oh my God, this is crap. I want it fixed immediately. 
But if somebody isn't really energized and motivated to commit to those changes, making those website changes does feel like changing your identity. But 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 I'm a generalist. But 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 I I don't want to just serve people in the financial community. It, I mean, it's happened to me too. I mean, I've been there. It, it's it's all those little pieces, and it, it it feels like a very personal website, and it feels like a personal not not attack, but it feels it just feels very threat. personal. Yeah, it feels yeah. like a personal threat. Yeah, a lot of people I talk to who really should pivot to make a change, but they're holding on to the old way because it's familiar or something. And the the website is, I imagine it feels so personal because almost in every, every case I'm talking about, the website is 100% about them. And it's never about their ideal buyers or their clients. Never. It's always about, we do this. We're the best in the world. Here are all the places that we, you know, here are all the wonderful things we've done. Here are the pretty pictures we've made. Us, me, I, over and over and over. So it's more like a resume, really. People process technology every single time. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and we're special because we're smarter. We try harder. We're more passionate. uh, We, you know, we're more elegant, whatever it is. But it's all about them. So, so. Oh, that, it's actually kind of makes sense a, l- a little bit more to me now because it's like, well, no, I don't want you to talk about yourself on your website anymore. Erase <laughs> yourself from your website <laughs> and just put your clients there. And uh, yeah, I can sort of see that. Interesting. Well, I, you should still do it. <laughs> I have a little more sympathy now. Yeah, I, I just think it's it's a process. It's um, since we're on like therapy mode, it's it's the the person you listener have to decide that something's not working and you want to change. And if they haven't made that decision, it's really hard for somebody like you or me to convince them of it. I mean, we can show them, you know, the reasons why, and if they accept it, you're off to the races and you can show them how to do it. But if not, you know, it's like banging your head against the wall. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything where your clients have kind of clung to something where you've seen them, you know, like, oh boy, you should really, you should really shoot this or you should hit it or uh, this is, it's time for this to disappear. Yeah. I mean, I guess the other thing I see sometimes is, is avoidance. If I ignore it, it doesn't exist. I sort of think of this as categories. Like if you've got a business that has employees and you have some problems or even a partner and you have problems with that and you avoid them, you know what happens, right? That's why we talked about those relationship things taking longer. So the, the people the people avoidance is a really tough one because you really don't want to avoid things for long because they're not going to get better, right? Avoidance is not a great strategy. When it comes to products and services, I mean, it's kind of funny. I've been in situations where the clients hired me and the, and the start of it is there's a lot of research that I do and analysis. And I find these things that they didn't even know existed. Like, really? What like what? Well, I'll, I'll find, usually it's content. So I'll find something that, that they wrote five years ago. And I said, you know, there's this white paper. And yeah, I'm not sure white paper is really the right thing for your brand. But there's a section in it about XYZ that would be an amazing information piece, a, da- a free download or sometimes a product, something you can productize and charge for. And they just like, really? I have that? And other times it's I'll find something they'll go, oh, I stopped looking at that because I wrote it because so-and-so you know, told me I had to do it and then I never wanted to look at it again. 
And sometimes it is, you know, it's just not good. And so, you know, we just ignore it. And I don't feel the need to bring up to somebody that I found something somewhere on their website that isn't good. We just don't use it anymore. Right, right. It's not like it's not occupying any mental space or confusing any potential visitors because it's buried. Yeah. But usually what will happen, at least for me, when when I'm working with somebody one on one before I talk with them, just I'm a troll on their website. Right. I'm looking at everything because I want to see what the story is like who who does it seem like they are based on their digital footprint and then I compare that to who the person is when I'm talking to them and a lot of times you know they're out of alignment and you know not intentionally it just tends to happen that way over time but it's what you have online helps to tell everybody else who you are and and maybe you don't care how the world sees you but you do care how the people in your space see you and interpret your message so that avoidance thing i i don't i don't encounter it a lot but there's there are it's it's almost like part of someone's personality that when something is troubling they just kind of push it over here dig a hole, bury it, but they don't actually, actually, that's a bad analogy, a bad metaphor, because they don't actually kill it. They just kind of push it over there. And then, yeah, that's a better analogy. And they just, they forget it's there and they're happy that it's, that it doesn't exist for them anymore. Mm. So that's probably a good exercise, dear listener. What have you stuffed in your attic? (laughs) (laughs) Spring cleaning. What's up there? I, I'm. We're having this conversation in my head. As soon as we're done with this call, I'm going to go delete a website that has been. I have this one sort of SaaS idea thing that a friend of mine and I put together, and it has one user, and it has had one user for years. Ugh. Uh, yeah. That makes me just want to cry. Yeah, and we make twenty five cents off of that user. <laughs> every month (laughs) and what does the website cost you (laughs) oh yeah yeah it doesn't even pay for the domain name never mind my accountant logging the 25 cents you know i mean like the whole thing is just like and and it doesn't i never think about it except for when the domain renews or except for when i get the the 25 cents received from like (laughs) yeah yeah it's time yeah it's it's in the attic and it's time to put it out by the road Take it out behind the barn. <laughs> we should all do this. I'm gonna I'm gonna check out my attic as well and see what the heck is up there. I know there's a lot of domain names. I got a lot of those. Yes. We're we're both bad about that. Yeah. 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 All right, cool. That's probably a good place to leave it for this week. Yeah. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next time for the business of authority. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>